I don't know if you, I don't know what goes through your noggin as we sing and as we do things, but the goal, I think, of our music team as they're here is to encourage us to worship our Lord. And sometimes as we do that, we think. By the way, it's a good thing to think as you worship. Worship is not thoughtless. It's thoughtful. And um, it just really struck me, not the last song, but the one before, as we're singing that. You know, when talking and singing about God moving mountains and God doing amazing things. Well, you know, we sometimes kind of sing, we sing the words and we say that, yes, we know that, we believe that, but then we kind of step back to ourselves, yeah, but that's like really, really hard. It's really tough for God to kind of like do crazy, amazing things like move a mountain or shift things and, and do crazy big things that are beyond our wildest imagination. And so we kind of step back and we kind of shrink back and we sometimes just have less faith believing that God can do stuff. And then I, as we're singing this, I'm thinking about where we are and what we're looking at and the things we're working through. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the flood. We're going to go into that more next week. But we're also walking through the beginning of Genesis and the fact that God created, that he spoke things into existence from nothing. So if God can... I want to see a lake. Poof, there's a lake. I want to see some light. Poof, there's light. I think we need to separate the light from the darkness. Poof. If God can speak and shape and talk things into existence, I think there should be land. Boom, there's a continent. God can also do amazing things in our own journeys, in our own lives. I think sometimes we shrink back and we kind of limit God. So I appreciate, as, just as we're singing, and it's great and it should be, God should be moving our hearts and prodding our thinking and we should be engaging him as we worship considering who he is and what he has done and celebrating him and rejoicing. Well, we're going to keep on moving today as we look at the book of Genesis and as we're kind of looking at the beginning of hope. We're at a spot today as we're going to look at things and we can, we can have the response of, oh my goodness, that's intimidating and scary. But also we look at the reality that this is amazing hope that God is revealing and that God is showing. And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 9 to 22. So I'm going to read that. We'll have a word of prayer and then we'll jump into it. It says, these are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. And Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. Then God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. You are to make a roof, finishing the sides of the ark within 
to within 18 inches of the roof. You are to put a door in the side of the ark. Make it with lower, middle, and upper decks. Understand that I am bringing a flood, flood waters on the earth, to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. You are also to bring into the ark two of all the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of everything... And what's interesting here is it doesn't say two of everything, but two of every kind is the correct language here. For the birds according to their kinds, from the livestock according to their kinds, and from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds will come to you so that you can keep them alive. Take with you every kind of food that is eaten. Gather it as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. Let's have a word of prayer, then we'll jump into it. Fathers, we take some time this morning to look at these words and to look at this part of history that Moses recorded and made available for us and that you wanted us to know and understand. Lord, as we take this time this morning to consider what's going on here, Lord, I would ask that you would bless our time, build into us, shape us after the image of Jesus. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, if you look at the top of the notes, I have this, this, this statement that says, Big tasks, big promises. And both are huge. So Noah, build a boat. Prepare for a flood. No problem. What time next week should I be done? When you read this, you realize that it's going to take about 100 years. For Noah to get ready to be prepared for the flood that is coming. About a hundred years. We read at the end of chapter 5, he's 500 years old. We read at the beginning of chapter 6 or 7, flood comes, he's 600 years old. About a hundred years to prepare for the flood. That's a pretty big task. Also a pretty big promise. Noah... I'm going to save you and preserve you and your family. That's a pretty big promise. Now, it's also a pretty big thing if you don't know what a flood is. You haven't really experienced a lot of rain. And you're kind of wondering what's going to happen. Okay, you say it. I'm not sure I fully get it. I'm going to build a boat. You told me to build a boat. I'm going to do it. And he starts to do it. Now, a number of things stand out. As you look at the notes, you're going to see four things that, that stand out. Look at verse chapter 6, verse 9. It says, These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. Of all the people around at this point in time, all the people on the earth, Noah was unique. Now, this to a degree, almost, you look at this and it kind of blows your mind, at least it does mine a little bit, that probably at this point in time, the millions of people that lived on the earth, Noah was unique in that he chose and he desired to pursue 
and know God. You all ever go to a place where you're going against the crowd? I think of like the subway system or maybe you're going into a sporting event and just a whole press of everyone is moving in one direction. And then maybe you're the individual or you're watching this individual that's trying to go the opposite direction. So there's a 100 or 200 people trying to fit through the subway door and there's the one guy inside who's trying to get out. Excuse me, excuse me, pardon me, pardon me. Can I get out? Can I get out? Can you get in? As they're kind of getting, keep on getting pushed back in. Can I get out? Can I get out? That's kind of the world Noah's living in. All of life and all of history and all the people around him are moving and pushing and living in the direction of opposing God. Everybody. And Noah decided to walk with God to know God and he's walking and living going the opposite direction this is a pretty stark issue Noah chose to walk with God and God makes a point of it it stands out it's as the, as the conversation begins about what's going to take place this is the key Detail that God deals with first. Noah walked with God. Now, Gesundheit. Now, here's what's going on. When you push against the crowd, When the whole crowd is coming this way, and you do, you're walking that way, does that just happen? No. If everyone is pushing this way, so I'm, I'm standing down here, and a couple hundred people are walking and pushing this way. What would be the natural thing for me to do? That would be the natural thing. How much thought require, is required in that? And how much choice is required in that? Almost none. But when everyone is coming this way, and you decide, I'm going to go this way. And I'm going to live, and I'm going to function, and I'm going to go against the grain of what everything is taking place around me. That doesn't just happen. There's an intentional choice that takes place to do that. Noah chose to walk with God. Noah chose put his face into the prevailing wind of his world and culture and walk against the push and the press of all that was going on around him to walk with and to know God. Noah intentionally chose to live a very counter-cultural life. Now, 
Does it mean that he, like from our culture today, does it mean that he didn't have a Coke once in a while and he chose to walk everywhere instead of drive a car? And we talk in counterculture like that, like he's going to live out in the jungles and pretend that there's not electricity, that there's not a TV, there's not internet, and he's going to totally separate and isolate. I don't think we're talking about that. I think we're talking about, though, choosing not to embrace the values and the priorities and the desires of culture, but rather to embrace God's values, God's priorities. He chose to live counterculturally. That's big. Now, let's go to the next one. We look at verses 11 to 12. And you see that in your notes. Overwhelmingly, people live for themselves and rejected God. Look at verses 11 through 12. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted, had corrupted its own way on the earth. Nothing was walking and functioning the way God had designed it and God had intended. Nothing. It was all moving counter to what God desired. Now here's what I want you to understand. Then you see it in the notes. Living for yourself, rejecting God, is the default position. You ever work with electronics and you're trying to set up and pair your electronics? And you have the default and it keeps on going back to the default and you're not setting it up to be the default, you're setting it up to do something else, it's frustrating. Now, you're going to have fun with this. This is why I have become an Apple person. I'm serious. This is why I no longer do Android and why I no longer do PC. Because the default of Apple is easy. They set it up and it all talks to each other. It all works with each other. It all has fun playing together. It all works. And I don't have to figure out and mess with changing everything around to make sure everything talks here and everything talks there and to make sure this jives with and syncs with that. It all just works. That's our world today. And that was the world then. The default is to walk away from God. Ever since Adam, ever since Adam chose to take the fruit from Eve, our default has been to walk away from God. Our default has been to walk with the crowd. That's the default. And so what we see taking place here, the whole earth was corrupt in God's sight, the earth was filled with wickedness, and God saw how corrupt the earth was. Why? Because every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. That is the default. Now, it's interesting to me here. You see these verses in your notes, so let's look at these two verses. You're going to look at, uh, first of all, 1 Kings 19, verses 10 to 18. 
This is um, after Elijah had confronted the prophets of Baal. We had that big confrontation on, mount, on the mountain there and God brought judgment, God revealed himself, God showed himself after three years, or I think it's three years of drought, it, it rained, and, and so this big victorious moment of God where God sent fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. But he was living stressful. He'd been hiding Birds have been feeding him. The brook dried up. He's been living under stress. King Ahab has been looking for him, trying to kill him. He felt fairly isolated and alone. And at this point in time, God called him to go to a particular place to meet with him, and he went there. And you see this response. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. I'm the only one! You ever hear something like that? You know, he's going, it's not fair! Sorry. (laughs) Don't get too animated. But you know, you can kind of see that little petulant kid standing before God. And then you drop down to verse 18. And God says to him, But I will leave 7,000 in Israel every knee that has not bound to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Now the New Testament picks up on that a little bit more and we see the conversation for that in, as, you, as you look there in Romans chapter 11 verses 2 to 5. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are trying to take my life. But what was God's answer to him? I have left 7,000 for myself who have not bowed down to Baal. In the same way that then that there is also at this present time a remnant chosen by grace there is still a remnant chosen by grace one of the lessons I want you to see and as we talk about the promises of hope and recognizing there is hope God always preserves a remnant we go through the process of life and we say to ourselves I am all alone there is nobody and there is nothing God always preserves a remnant. And even in the situation that's going on in the world, right at the time where God is looking and seeing the wickedness and the evilness that has taken place, there is a remnant, a very small remnant, a single family. But there's a remnant. See, God always preserves the seeds of hope. God always preserves the seed of promise. Always.
we look at this and we see the rebellion of man and we see the attitude of man. I am going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. And so God says, I need to bring judgment. Now, let's back up for this a little bit. God cannot abide wickedness. He must judge sin. Because it's contrary to his nature. It's contrary to who he is. He cannot just accommodate it. You know how we go to a restaurant and we sit behind the people that don't know how to speak without using profanity? Or maybe we're sitting on the bus or we're at the baseball game or or something else like that. And we are around those people that, man, they just don't know how to not be crude. They just don't know how to not swear up a storm. They just don't know how to not get drunk. And we live in, around that, we live near those things, and we kind of kind of box those things off. We kind of, in some ways, kind of isolate ourselves, and we just kind of put this armor around ourselves. We just kind of go plowing through. We tolerate. But God looks at all that. God says, I must confront, and I will address and judge sin. He has to. It's his nature because he is righteous. So God is looking at the sin of the world where Noah is living. And he came to a point where he says, I must confront the sin. And I must judge it. Look at the third point and going down to verses 13 to 17. God declares judgment, but God also offers a means of rescue. Then God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 750 feet wide, 450 feet high. You know, you read those things and you don't, don't you ever say, boy, I wish there was a place, a way that I could see something that looks like this. You ever say that? Got good news for you. In Arkansas, there's a place you can look and check it out. Okay. So this is one of the things that they've done at the Ark Encounter that I think is really cool. They have built something that, from their concept, their idea that reflects this. You get to walk through it. It's really kind of cool. It starts to, as the saying goes, starts to put flesh on the skeleton. starts to give you a concept and an idea to understand what's going on. Very, very cool. We're going to talk a little bit more about some of these things next week. Very, very cool. Now, keep on going. Found my spot again. Where did I leave off? Verse 16. My eyes are not quite as good as I like them to be. Let's go back to verse 16. We'll, read all, we'll start reading that again. Boy, it's the problem with getting older, isn't it? And now you talk about how things don't sink. You know what really gets me? My right eye doesn't talk well with my left eye. Boy, that's what really gets me sometimes. It really does. Okay. You are to make a roof, finishing the, the, the size of the ark to within 18 inches of the roof. You are to put a door in the side of the ark and make it with lower, middle, and upper decks. 
Understand that I am bringing a flood, floodwaters on the earth, to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. I am going to bring judgment. Everything on earth is going to perish. Now pause for a second. You're reading this. And you start to think, can God move a mountain? And you realize, it's not a problem for God to move a mountain. Because God moved the world. He not only spoke the world into existence, but then at a period of judgment, he moved the world, he shaped the world, he flooded the world, and God did all sorts of crazy stuff to, to address the problems that were going on in the world. So when we come back, we say, can God move a mountain? Absolutely, God can move a mountain. But God is about to bring judgment on the earth. And he talked to Noah, and he identified for Noah the means of escape. Now pause for a second. Over the next hundred years, as people see Noah out back, company another one, and building this ark. Anybody else have the opportunity to build a boat? No. Absolutely they did. Did, did, did. Well, God didn't tell them, but do you think God Noah told them? Noah, what are you doing? You, Noah, we knew you're loopy, but this is like way above what we're expecting. I'm going to go talk to the town council because this is really ticking me off because I'm not liking that thing you're building in the backyard. It's really bothering me. It's really ruining the neighborhood. Think about the conversations that are going on around Noah and his life. Noah, why in the world are you ordering more nails? Noah, how much more wood do I have to get you? Noah, you have been collecting food forever. Why don't you just eat the stuff you got? For a hundred years, he's preparing for what God is going to do. A hundred years. Did other people have the opportunity to build a boat? Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I have a hunch, could be wrong, but I'll bet you he probably hired some contractors. For a hundred years, he's doing this. To put it in a little bit of perspective, think about how much our world has changed since the 1920s, the roaring 20s. Think about the things that have been built. Think about the ways that our world has changed since the 1920s. Noah's been building a boat. And he's got it shored up it's bigger than a football field behind my house 
and everyone around, you know, this is the kind of thing that if, if Noah was building a boat today, and this kind of stuff was going on, people all up and down the East Coast would know about it. People in other countries would be walking around with a picture saying, I can't believe this. I just got to put this online. Do you believe this? I haven't, I have, I've never seen this over here. These Americans are nuts. People coming from California, going back home to California, says, I was driving up and down the coast, I was visiting family, can you believe this, this crazy guy? This is just nuts, but i got to show you this picture that I took, because this is crazy. I mean, we think Californians are fruity, but this guy over here, he's even worse than everyone else. All around the place, people know what's going on. All sorts of people have had opportunity to react and to respond. But no one builds a boat. Because Noah's nuts. Noah, come on, just get in line with the program. Why do you always have to be so counter-cultural? Noah, why do you always have to talk to us about God? Noah, oh yeah, you you got the angry God, Noah, because he's telling us there's going to be judgment. You're crazy, Noah. The opportunity rejected, dismissed. When Noah and his family got on the ark, we're going to look at this next week. There goes Loopy Noah. He's finally moving into that thing he made. No one wanted to join him. It was on the morning of the eighth day that everyone decided that maybe Noah had it right. But for a hundred years prior to that, he was nuts. But what I want you to understand is God is preserving a remnant, but in a place of judgment, in the face of judgment, in the face of consequence for sin, God is providing an opportunity for Redemption. God is providing an opportunity for rescue. And that's consistent throughout his history. In the face of judgment, in the face of consequence of sin, God always provides an opportunity for rescue. Always. Look at verse 18 to 22. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. You are also to bring into the ark two of all of the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of everything, from the birds according to their kinds, from the livestock according to their kinds, from all from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, will come to you so that you can keep them alive. Take with you every kind of food that is eaten. Gather it as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. Now, one of the things that stands out, this is, as we look at this, the very first time we see the language of covenant appearing in Scripture. The very first time. God is establishing a covenant with Noah. 
covenant is a two-part process. Sometimes a covenant has unconditional components. Those unconditional components are things where, where God or someone will say to you, I will do or I will promise, and there's nothing that they're expecting from you in response. Now, we feel a lot of pressure from the north, from the Jewish community as it's coming down. And as people in our culture, in our world, look at the Jewish community, historically, there's been a fairly negative attitude by many people towards the Jewish community. And part of the reason for that is because of the prosperity that people uniformly see in the Jewish community. There seems to be a disproportional amount of lawyers and doctors and, and, and people that are doing very well in the Jewish community. And people look at that and they get angry. That was part of the attitude and that was part of the communication of Hitler during World War II to the, to the German people. These are the ones that are stealing from us. These are the ones who are making us poor. They're taking advantage of us. But the reason I would suggest to you why over the last thousands of years the Jewish community and the Jewish people have prospered is because as God made a covenant with the nation of Israel as they came out of Egypt and God established a covenant with them, one of the things that was non-conditional is that he would prosper them. He would prosper the people of Israel. And that part of the covenant of God continues today. And we see a covenant being established between God and Noah. And for the very first time, we see the language of covenant. And God is saying to Noah, I'm going to establish a covenant with you, Noah. You're going to walk with me and follow me. I'm going to rescue you. And God establishes a covenant. And I want to drive home for you the reality that God continues in the process of covenant. The next real major covenant we see is when God establishes a covenant with Abraham. He reinforces that covenant with Isaac and he reinforces that covenant with Jacob. Later on we see that God established a covenant with David that through the line of David that the promised Messiah would come. We see that reinforced with a covenant that God established with Solomon. And a little bit later this morning, we're going to partake of communion. And as we read through the scriptures, and as our routine through the process of sharing communion and talking about communion, what do we talk about? We talk about how this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. That's the language that Jesus used as he sat at that communion table, referencing the old covenant and now talking about the new covenant that would be established the very language that God is using here as he's having a conversation with Noah is huge because through the covenant process of God, that is the pathway of the promise of God being revealed. Hope. 
hope. There is still hope. God is not going to destroy all of mankind. There is still hope. So as we look at the bottom of the, of the notes page, I have this question. What do you choose to do with God and his current covenant promises? Now one of the things I want you to understand, God keeps his promises. God fulfills his covenants. So as I was talking earlier about how God covenanted with, the, covenanted with the nation of Israel and made a promise to them, here we are, about thirty-five to four thousand years, thirty-five hundred to four thousand years later, and the covenant, the promise that God made to prosper, is still in effect. It is still taking place. Still. 2,000 years after Jesus sat in the upper room with the disciples and he said to them, this is my new covenant. That covenant is still in effect. It's still in effect. The challenge and the question I want to present you and really want to challenge you to think through is what are you going to do in response to the covenant relationship that God desires to establish with you and have with you? What are you going to do with that? Because as we've talked about this, the reality is all of us, we have that tendency from Adam, that inclination to sin. It is natural within us. That is the natural inclination. We are inclined to go with the crowd and oppose God. It requires a choice to choose to live counterculture. It requires a choice to say, I am not going to live with the crowd. I am going to choose to live counterculture. I'm going to choose to embrace the covenant that God has presented to me. I'm going to choose to embrace that instead of living in the counterculture and living with the culture as it moves. What are you going to do with the covenant promise that God has established? So let's come back to the elements of communion. And I would encourage you to, as we prepare to partake of communion, to reflect and to remember. Does anyone need anything for communion? Does anyone need one? That's part of why I grabbed an extra. (laughs) But here's the reminder. As Jesus gave this out, and as Jesus started to do communion. Now, they were doing the Passover. And Jesus took the the symbols and the elements of Passover and, and repurposed that. And so as Jesus took the bread, the scripture says he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples. 
And he said, this represents my body which is broken for you. The, the symbolism and the importance of what's going on here is that this is reminding us of the characteristics, the principles, the values of the covenant that has been established with everyone. And what's amazing about this covenant is anyone can enter into this covenant. It's a choice. We can say, I want to be a part of that covenant. And God says, come on in. Welcome. These are not restricted promises that you have to jump through certain hoops or be born from a certain genealogy. God is saying anyone who wants to enter into this covenant has the freedom to enter into this covenant. It's a, it's a choice. You make a choice just like Noah chose to walk with God. You make a choice. But as he took the bread, he says, this, this is my body which is broken for you. The reminder, and you come back and you say to yourself, why would Jesus have to have his body broken? Why is he being whipped? Why is his beard being pulled from his, hat, from his face? Why are his hands being nailed to a cross? Why is a spear being thrust in his side? There are many reasons we can probably look at, but I would like to suggest to you that one of the first core reasons is to identify the destructive, terrible consequence of sin. Sin destroys. Our nature, and the evil one whispers in our ears and says to us, sin is good. But it destroys us. Jesus was willing to take that which destroys us upon himself so that we can be forgiven. And so as we remember and as we reflect, we take the bread and we partake, recognizing that this is a reminder of the brokenness and batteredness of Jesus. And Jesus said to the disciples, and I would say to you now, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake in remembrance of Christ. Jesus continued in that conversation with the disciples and he took the, the wine. Well, we don't have wine, we have juice. Somewhere behind us in history, someone decided it's better on Sunday morning to do juice instead of wine. Others still do wine. We do the juice. But Jesus had the conversation with the disciples. He says, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. And he says, and as often as you drink it, you declare my death until I come again. A new covenant. What's the importance, what's the significance of this new covenant? This new covenant identifies that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that what God is saying, I will take my righteousness, I'll take Jesus' righteousness and apply it to your life because your wickedness was addressed by Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Your sin, all of that stuff that God was talking to know about, all of that stuff that we are just naturally inclined to do, all of that natural rebellion to God that's hardwired into us because of Adam and through Adam. 
And again, what does scripture say? In Adam we have all sinned. And if each of us is honest, there's not a single one of us that has lived perfectly. We can, we should, most of us can probably find a point today where we've really dropped the ball. But if you really feel you're pretty righteous, just take a look back at yesterday or this past week. You're going to find all sorts of garbage in your life. All of that causes separation and alienation from God. And God must judge and confront sin. But because God loves us, he's provided an answer and a solution to our sin problem and the pending judgment for sin. And that's reflected in that new covenant that if we put our trust in Jesus, the scripture says, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall, but shall have everlasting life. And this represents that new covenant, that new promise from God, that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, I will forgive your sin and welcome you into my presence forever. I'm also going to give my spirit to rest upon your life, to enable you and to empower you to walk and to live a different life that's going to be fulfilling, but that's also going to help you to reflect who I am in your journey. That is the new covenant. And Jesus, as he gave it to the disciples, says, whenever you do this, you declare my death until I come again. And part of the promise of the new covenant is that Jesus is coming again. I don't know when, but he's coming. He's coming. And part of that promise is that those who have passed on before, when he comes back, he's going to bring them with him gather those of us that are here still remaining catch us up to glory and be in the presence of God forever that's all part of the covenant that's all part of the promise God is a covenant making promise establishing God and he wants us to enter into that promise with him Jesus said do this in remembrance of me Let's partake together. Now I'm going to be quiet. I'll sit down. <clears throat> Finally. But I want to extend an invitation. On your communication card, there's opportunity to fill things out to communicate. If you want to talk more about what it means to have a relationship with God, if you want to know what it means more to enter into that relationship with Jesus, just jot that there, and we're glad to follow up with you and talk with you. Maybe there's something you want us to pray about. Maybe there's something you want to communicate. I would encourage you to take advantage of that communication card, fill that out, and let us know. You can do one of two things with that communication card. You can put it in the offering plate as it comes by. You'll also have someone out out there near the stairs. You can also hand it to the person at the stairs and we'll make sure we get it. And we'll follow up with you this week. But I want to encourage you before we head out of here today to not lose sight of the opportunity to acknowledge and to embrace Jesus. You have the opportunity, like Noah, to avoid the judgment by embracing Jesus. I encourage you to do that.
And so if you want to talk more about that, you can also just grab me today. I'll be over here. Grab Connor and talk to Connor. We'd love to talk to you. Let's pray together. Father, I want to say thank you for your richness and your goodness to us. I want to say thank you for the promises that you establish. And even, Father, for the beginning of that conversation now as we look at what you are doing with Noah to establish a covenant with him. A covenant where you protected him, you preserved him, and you preserved mankind. Even in the face of judging sin. Father, I would ask that you would work at helping us to be attentive to you and to to learn to hear you and to know you and to walk with you. That, Father, you would work in our hearts, helping us to not just go with the flow of how all of life goes and that sinfulness inside of us that wants to take us, but that, Father, you would build into us a desire to walk away from what we are inclined to pursue and to build into us a desire to walk with you and to know you as Noah and so many others chose as well. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers are going to come from back to front. As they pass you, feel free to stand and join with the music team as we